Well, welcome everybody. Welcome to Grace. Good to see you this weekend. Uh, if I haven't met you before, my name is Jeff, and I would love to say hi to you and connect with you a little bit. Some folks are coming in still, so uh, maybe make some room for them if you're able. And uh, welcome also everybody watching online. Good to see you as well. You're going to have to forgive my voice a little bit. I was up late watching the Buckeyes earn their spot in the playoffs. That's right. If you're an Alabama fan, I want you to know that if you go back and to the right, that's the exit. You're welcome to leave right now, but uh, excited about what God's doing there on, with his team that he enjoys, and uh, the, all of heaven rejoiced last night, so we're praising the Lord for that. Uh, we're, in a, we're in a series right now called So This Is Christmas, and uh, talking about uh, Christmas and, and how do we take what Christ did and kind of the depth of what he did, the power of what he did, and, and how do we allow that to influence us, so how do we receive that? be changed by it, and then communicate that? How do, how do we let it kind of flow into our hearts and then flow out of our, our lives and to the people around us? And uh, all the time, and maybe in a special way, we always are in like a unique relational closeness at Christmas. Now, the family's in, the friends are in, uh, we're connected with people just kind of in a different way. I think it's a good thing, but especially during the Christmas season, how do we receive from the Lord and then illustrate or emulate or imitate uh, his love for us, what he's done for us to the people around us. So I want to talk about that a little bit. How do we make Christ's heart and mind clear? And this weekend, I want to lean into like an, to a, an attribute of God or a characteristic of God and talk about that. I want to talk about Jesus's humility and especially how that was expressed through his generosity and think about how we receive that and then how that, that flows out of our life into the lives around us, okay? So let's dig out a little bit. Jesus' humility, uh, what is humility? Humility is a very broad conversation, very broad conversation. So admittedly, we're gonna look at like a slice of it th this, this weekend, okay? So the slice we're gonna look at is, is this. Humility, my definition is this, that humility is the laying aside of my real or perceived rights for the benefit of another, that, that's humility. It's when I set aside my, my real or perceived rights, when I have the right or I think I have the right to take a certain position or to act a certain way or to communicate or be heard or just kind of fill in your blank. Whenever I have a real or a perceived right and I on purpose set it aside and I do that for the benefit of another people. This is why uh, Christmas is a great illustration of that attribute of, of Christ, that he sets aside, a, in his case, a real right. He sets it aside so that you and I could be made rich from his goodness to us. You and I could receive what he wanted to teach us. He set aside his rights and entered into that, okay? So when you think about Jesus's rights and you think about what he did. When, when, when Jesus kind of signed up to embark on the Father's plan, you know, when, when his heavenly Father was like, I got a plan to redeem humanity. You're going to be born of a virgin. You're going to, the whole Christmas prophecy and all that's going to play out. Then you're going to live with everybody so that all of your teachings can make sense to them because it comes to the human experience. Uh, some people are going to like you, most aren't. And then you're going you're gonna to lay your life down because you're God. Your life can't be taken from you. You have to offer it. So you're going to lay your life down and then by your own power, raise yourself up again. 
And uh, that way, everybody will have their sins, a way for their sins to be forgiven, a way to be rescued, a plan of escape. That's the plan. If Jesus wanted to, he could have looked at that plan and said, you know what? I'm, I'm not in on that. Like, bad plan, right? Because I have a right. I have a right. I am God. I'm the creator of heavens and the earth. I, I all worship and honor and glory is mine. Jesus is the only person in the world that can say that and not be cocky because it's just true, right? So Jesus actually can't be arrogant with that. He should be worshiped. He should have all honor. If I say that, I'm being arrogant. Jesus isn't. So he could say, I, I, could, I can make that claim. I'm not doing that. I, don't, I rightfully, I don't owe those people anything. I, they, I'm not in their debt. I, I didn't sin. They're the ones that are sinners, not, not me. I, there is no dutiful obligation, right? It, the father wasn't like, well, come on. You're the only one that can do it. There, there's no guilt trip involved. None of that. Jesus had the right to check out. He would have been perfectly within his rights to say, no, leave them to their own, their own design. They made their bed, let them lie in it. I'm not doing it. I don't want to do it. I'm not obligated to do it. I'm not indebted to do it. And I, I'm deserving of not doing it. In his humility, he set aside that right. And he signed up and said, you know what? I will go, I will be born of the Virgin Mary. The woman that I created will give birth to me. And it'll be in a manger and I'll be like in a cave. That'll be awesome. And, and I, will, I will live amongst humanity and, and they, most of them will hate my guts. A few will like me. And then I, I will offer my life. It can't be taken from me. I offer it. And then I will take it up again. And I, I, don't, I have the right to say no, but I'm willing to do that. It's humility expressed through generosity. I'll give myself in, in that way. Now, later on in the Bible, the Apostle Paul picks up on this idea. And he says this in, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8. He says it this way. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And he's describing kind of the whole exchange of Christmas, we might say. That Jesus was rich, he was fine, he was good. He was not in a spiritual deficit, his father was not displeased with him. That There was no motivation outside of love that would have caused him to step out of heaven. But he did, in humility, he set that aside, he became poor. He, he, in essence, took his riches and poured them out for you and I. He gave everything he had to give. He, he, he invested the whole of himself. And when he did that, he did it for our sake. He became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. So that I can have spiritual richness. I, can, I who don't deserve it, didn't want it, wasn't asking, God humbled himself. He, he, being a very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Instead, he took on the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness, and he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. That's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. He pours himself out in that way so that I can receive the richness of God. I, what I get out of it is salvation, mercy, compassion, fulfillment, 
joy, peace, counsel, wisdom, eternal security, heaven, the, the, the whole nine yards. Jesus impoverished himself so that we through his poverty might become rich. And, and really that, that is the exchange of Christmas. That, that's what Christmas is. It, it is the beginning or the birth of that process. That's why it is good news of great joy, which is for all the people that today in the city of David, a savior has been born. God setting aside his rights, emptying himself out so that I can receive his riches and, and have all the benefits of knowing and loving Christ, right? Now, what we would say then is, there, that's the heart and the mind of God, right? That's how he's thinking, that's what he's doing, that's what he's motivated by. If I am a Christ follower, I wanna receive that, and then I want to take the riches God pours into me, and I wanna pour it out to my neighbor, right? To the people around me, my family, whoever's in, in my uh, kind of uh, natural path of life. I want, to, I want to receive those riches and then I want to emulate, I want to model Christ and I want to pour out those riches to the people around me. When the Apostle Paul wrote uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, when he, when he, when he says that about Jesus, uh, in fact, grab your Bibles if you got them. I'll just show you all this. Grab your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, there's some there in the chairs. It's page 806 in those Bibles. And if you, if you want, all this is on the app too. So if you go out and search Grace Church 30, you'll find the app. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So when Paul teaches that in verse 9 of chapter 8, 2 Corinthians, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that, that through his poverty you might become rich. What he does right before he says that truth is he gives an example of human beings emulating, imitating, illustrating Jesus's humility and generosity. And he gives his example of this church in this city called Macedonia. So the Macedonians, he, he says these guys, he's talking to this other church in a city called Corinthian, right? So he's like, or Corinth. So he's talking to the Corinthians about the Macedonians. And he says to the Corinthians, hey guys, you know who got this verse nine thing down really good and illustrates it and imitates it and emulates it? You know who did a really good job with that? The Macedonians did. And I want to tell you about their example. They nailed this thing. And, and the, you Corinthians, if you want to like figure out all that Jesus was doing at Christmas, like if we, he was talking here with us this weekend, if you want to know this, you Bathians, you Akronites, if you want to know this, you should look at the Macedonians. They did good math on this and they locked into it. So he uses them as the example and he says, these are the things I want you to understand from them. And this is what he says, okay? He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2, of the Macedonians, he says, here it is, in the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us, for the privilege of sharing in the service of the Lord's people. 
he looks, Paul says, I, this example of these Macedonians, they're like amazing. And, and I want to explain what they did so that you Corinthians, you Akronites, you can get a hold of their example because they imitated and emulated and illustrated Christ's humility through generosity, okay? So this is what he says. He says, this is what I want you to pick up about these Macedonians. In the midst of their severe trial and their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity, something was going on with the Macedonians. And the Macedonians were in extreme trial. They were being persecuted because of their faith in Jesus Christ. It's kind of a long story, but that's what was happening. They were having a severe trial, and that severe trial led to extreme poverty. Severe trial led to extreme poverty. And in the middle of all that, that severe trial and that extreme poverty welled up or turned into rich generosity. Isn't that fascinating? They were going through a horrible time and it had destroyed them. And the result of that horrible time and that financial destruction was generosity, humility expressed through generosity. Somehow the Macedonians did some math that the Corinthians and maybe the Akronites were struggling to do. When they went through a severe trial and they went into extreme poverty, they were positioned in a place where they could have rightfully said, hey, Corinthians, Akronites, Bathians, whoever, you need to help us. I, we are in severe trial. We are in extreme poverty. You should come help us. When Paul went to them and he expressed the poverty and the trials of other churches, particularly the ones in Corinthians and even of himself, the Macedonians would have, would have been within their rights to say, Paul, why are, you, why are you raising money from us? What are you talking about? We have, why do you want our, we don't, you want our help. We need your help. Why don't you come help us? We see our severe trial. It's not just a little bit of a trial. It's a severe trial. It's not just, you know, a little bit of poverty. It's extreme poverty, Paul. Why don't you come help us? But somehow the Macedonians, when they looked at the richness of Christ being poured out in their life, they did a different math problem. Instead of being the one who receives, they became the ones who were, became generous. When they looked at their severe trial and their extreme poverty, they laid aside their rights to be the recipient and in humility expressed their generosity. They looked and said, wow, because of our extreme poverty, and because of our severe trial, we are motivated to give to those who are in extreme poverty and severe trial. Isn't that fascinating? Nobody understands the plight of the hungry like the person who is hungry. Nobody understands 
the plight of the homeless like the person who is homeless. Nobody understands the plight of the impoverished like the person who is impoverished. And the Macedonians did a, did a different math in which they looked at the Apostle Paul and they said, we understand what it's like to be in trial. We, oh man, we get the, the helplessness and the hopelessness of extreme poverty. And we look and say, God has been so good to us. God is so loving to us. He has renewed our mind. He's changed our thinking. And we who have every right in the world to claim your investment, we want to give our investment. Isn't that fascinating? Now, poverty shows up in a bunch of different ways, doesn't it? So for sure there is financial poverty, right? And I'm sure, I'm sure some of us here or online, we, we would look and say, yeah, I, I am in poverty. Like I, I, I'm having trouble keeping the electric on. I'm having trouble keeping the cupboard filled. I, I am, I'm in financial poverty. And that is absolutely true. And that is absolutely a need in, in some of our lives. That is not the only expression of poverty. Some of us are in the poverty of abandonment. And when we look and say, I, I, I was abandoned. He just left and left me with the kids. My dad walked out. I, when I think about Christmas, I think about the Christmas my dad walked out. My mom, she bought a ticket for the crazy train and has never come back. I'm in, I'm in extreme poverty. And Jeff, when you look at me and you say, I should be a father to the fatherless like God is, I'm the fatherless one. I, what are you talking about? Some of us are, have a relational poverty. Where we, he, my friends all wigged out on me. You know, I, 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 he broke up with me. She started going out with another guy. My, my, I, I buried the people that I love. I had this massive relational loss this year. When, when I look around, it's the empty seat that gnaws on me. And Jeff, you're, you're saying to me that I'm, to, I'm, I'm supposed to reach out? I'm the lonely one. I need reached out too. I'm in severe trial. I have, I have an extreme relational poverty. Some of us have the poverty of pain. I have pain, man. I, 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 I am the one mourning. I am the one overcoming my childhood. I'm the one who just lost a dream and I'm, I'm grieving that dream. I'm the one who's dealing with the cancer and, and the physical breakdown. And, and, I, I, and you're saying to me that I am to comfort people? I need comforted. My family is breaking down. See? And that's all legit. And somehow the Macedonians, Paul, Paul, when he said this, he's not rolling his eyes. Yeah, they think they're in severe trial. Cable went out. They think they're in extreme poverty, can't afford their 72-inch 4K. He's not rolling his eyes. He's saying, no, no, no. 
This is the actual condition of their life. And from their poverty, out of their poverty, welled up generosity. Somehow, the richness of Christ poured out in them. Though they were poor, they became rich. And they, they, they set aside their claim and became the investor and not just the invested in. And then he goes on and he says, I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their own ability entirely on their own. They, they, they gave till it hurt and then a little bit more and they did this on their own. We did not guilt trip them. We, we did, Paul didn't walk in and say, you know, Macedonians, you know, it's Christmas season. There's some cards on the Hope Project board still. You know, it's Christmas season. You should make that phone call. Santa would. He didn't guilt trip them. He didn't shame them. You call yourself a Christian and you refuse to forgive. He didn't guilt trip them. He didn't shame them. He didn't lock them into a dutiful obligation. Jesus gave for you. No. They, they gave entirely on their own. In fact, the next verse, I love the way he says it. He says, it, they urgently pleaded for, with us for the privilege of sharing they, they came to us. They were in need. They were in trial. They were in poverty. And out of their poverty, they came to us and they gave entirely on their own. Listen, there is something powerful and compelling and inspiring when someone gives from their poverty. When the one who was abused becomes the one who forgives, it's a powerful thing. When the one who has been harmed is the one who offers the healing to the one who harmed them, it's a powerful thing. When, When the one who has been abandoned extends the invitation to the one who abandoned them, it it is mind-boggling when that happens. When, when, the, when the one who is in pain is the one who reaches out to, to be the healer of the pain of the one who caused the pain in the first place. When, when someone self-initiates love and they set aside their rights and they express it, and it's a generous relationship, it's a generous forgiveness, it's a generous healing, it's a generous relationship. All the way down to when the poor person gives the money to the poor person. Paul says they did this on their own, and they saw it as a privilege. They looked and said, listen, we're not asking for your pity. Look what God has done for us. Look at the riches the Lord has poured out for us. We, we, yes, we go through severe trial, but we're gonna love our enemy. 
Yes, we're under severe trial, but we're going to forgive our accuser. Yes, yes, this is all true. We are in extreme poverty, but we are rich. Please don't look at us as impoverished people because we are rich in Christ's goodness. Don't rip us off and, and, and pretend that we don't have any generosity to give. We can give from our poverty. And we want to be in on that because we want to find a joy in that. It, it is fun. It is fun to get what you've been hoping for. That's fun. In fact, I think that I am confident the Lord wants that to be fun. When somebody gives you a gift or a dream comes true or you fall in love, that's all an expression of God's love for you. That's fun. Don't, don't discount it. It's also fun to be the one who sacrifices to be the one who makes a difference, to be the one that gets to express Jesus. It's also fun to, to draw joy from things that are difficult. Jesus did that. The Bible says in Hebrews, he sa it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He looked and said, you know what? It, it'd be fun if everybody just like loved me, but I'm gonna find a deeper joy by going through this trial. I'm going to empty myself. There's a fulfillment that comes from that as well. The Macedonians were saying, don't rob us of that. We, we have the, the testimony and the message that we can have by giving from our place of poverty is, is going to be more powerful than the one that you have from giving from your place of abundance. Don't steal our opportunity because Christ poured himself out, we have become rich, and we want to pour ourselves out back to them. And, and the, Paul goes on, and he says, you know what? They were doing this as an act of worship. They, they gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God to all of us. They, they weren't just showing off. This wasn't a guilt trip. It wasn't like Christmas, everybody's generous. They, they looked and said, no, we, God, you have given to us. We want to give on your behalf to another. We love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We want to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are eager to do that. And from our place of trial and from our place of poverty, we want to express your generosity in ours. We set aside our rightful claim our rightful claim to be the one invested in so that we can become the investor. And Paul looks at the, says to the Corinthians, he says, he's like, you gotta, man, those guys got this. I, I, I wanna hold them up as an example be, because, man, if you ever were looking at human beings who were emulating, imitating, illustrating what Jesus is like, those Macedonians, they hit a grand slam on this one, you should look at it, see. I had the privilege of being raised by two wonderful people. My mom and dad were great people and uh, loved them a ton. And they, they were wonderful people who loved Jesus a lot, but had a very difficult life. And I've talked about them a bunch over the years, but, th but that, if I was summing their life up, I would say they had a great life, but a, a difficult life in many ways. At the end of their life, uh, mom and dad came and lived with Heidi and I. And, and uh, one time, 
uh, Pastor Bob, one of the pastors here at Grace, asked my dad if he would tell his story at a men's breakfast thing. And so my dad, my dad was a machinist. He worked in a foundry. He was not a public speaker. It's funny, my brother and I are both pastors and my dad would look at us and say, I have no idea where you guys got that from. Like, it's not genetic, something happened. So my, my dad was not a public speaker, didn't enjoy that necessarily, but loved Pastor Bob. And so, I don't know, Pastor Bob has this way of talking you into things you don't wanna do. And so uh, my dad agreed to do this, but he goes, you're coming with me, son. So I was like, all right. So I took him. He couldn't drive anymore because of some health issues. So I, we went over to this breakfast. I went with my dad. As I'm listening to my dad's story, kind of his life story, I, parts of it I knew, right? So uh, my dad was raised by a, a very difficult man. Uh, my, mom, my mom's father was an abusive alcoholic. He, he would literally come home and beat his family. She's the only person in her family that did not die of alcoholism, and that was her life. And she used to say about my dad's dad that he was the cruelest man that she'd ever met. Like grandpa was just mean for some reason. He had a lot of pain and bitterness in, in his life. And so I knew that about my dad. And my dad started telling his story. My dad, basically his father um, put him out on his own when he was 16 years old. So at 16, my dad is out on his own. My dad actually bought his own house uh, he, he was getting through high school. He was doing his apprenticeship to be a machinist. And my, my grandparents, his mom and dad, also sent his two younger sisters with him. So my dad raised his sisters then from 16 on. And my grandparents didn't really help, didn't really care, weren't, weren't really involved. So I knew that. And my dad told that part of his, of his story. And then my dad said something that, was, uh, that struck me. At the time, dad was 72 years old. And he looked at Pastor Bob and he, he said, he goes, he goes, you know, my father never loved me. My father never loved me. I never heard him say he loved me. He never acted like he loved me. He never once said he was proud of me. I never once got a good job out of boy. And he goes, my, my father never, never loved me. And then he kind of concluded his, his story. And later on, as we were going home, I, I was talking to dad about it. And I said, hey, I said, Pop, I want to tell you some stuff. He said, first of all, I said, I am so grateful that I cannot even relate to your childhood. My, I, I, it, it has never crossed my mind that my dad didn't love me. I have never had that thought in my life. Cannot relate to it. He, he probably told me, 10,000 times that he loved me, all the time. Like, he's like, I love you. I'm like, dad, I'm just getting some popcorn, relax. You know, kind of thing. But like, he, did, he just was stubborn about it. He would love you. And I said, dad, I know you're proud of me because he told me countless times too that he was proud of me and, and, and my siblings too, right? And we, we knew that. So I said, dad, I said, I am, I am so grateful I, I literally don't even understand how you and mom were raised. I'm grateful for that. I said, let me tell you something else, Pop. I'm grateful you never bailed on Jesus. My mom and dad really came to Christ when they were later in life and as adults. They had a difficult life. They had a difficult life. Uh, my, they, they buried a child 
So when my brother was eight years old, a drunk driver hit us and my brother was killed in that car accident. And so they, they buried a child. I, I am the, the replacement boy in my family. And my sisters always said I wasn't born with an umbilical cord, I was born with a bungee cord because I was such a mama's boy. And it's true, I love my mom, shut up. I love my mom, <laughs> right? So, so it, it's, it's true, I was a mama's boy, but I was so close because I, I was the replacement boy. That's, so there's a big gap between me and my siblings, right? So I, I, that pain. And then my dad, my mom and dad's best friends were my father's sister and her husband. And they were best friends. They used to vacation together. And, and if they had a vacation, they would just go to each other's house. And uh, one Sunday, uh, my mom and dad's best friends, my, my aunt and my uncle, and six of my eight cousins, their kids, they had eight kids, six of the eight were all killed in a car accident, right? And, and then my mom and dad, the one son that survived, my mom and dad raised, they taught him to walk again and talk again and, and he was raised in our house. And so I, I look back at that and I think, oh my word, you know, the pain, the pain of losing a child is beyond description and, and the pain of like your best friend and all your nieces and nephews, the, the family that you were with all the time, right? And then later on, my father's health failed. So when he was my age, uh, he had a series of heart attacks and strokes and it kind of wiped him out. And so we became, he, he lost his career. Our family became impoverished. And, and so I just looked at dad. I said, dad, I'm so grateful you never bailed on Jesus through all that. Because you would never know that their life was like that. They're pretty happy people most of the time, right? So you wouldn't know those things about them, but I knew. And then I, took, I said, Dad, I said, I have, I have this memory. Remember, there's this big gap. So I have this memory. It's like vague. And I said, didn't Grandpa and Grandma live with us? And he goes, yeah, they did. I said, they, they live like back in the back room, right? He goes, yeah. He goes, grandpa had some health crisis and, and grandma couldn't help him, so I, I moved them in with us. And then I started remembering stories about that. I said, I kind of remember mom saying like grandpa was so difficult and he was, oh yeah, your grandpa's just a difficult guy. I said, dad, did you, after they got a little healthier, did you help them get into an assisted living thing? This is way back, right? So this is the old-fashioned assisted living thing. He goes, yeah, I did. I said, did they have any money to do that? He goes, no. He goes, they, they didn't have a thing. They got a little bit of you know, Social Security or whatever it was. I said, did you pay for that? He goes, yeah. He goes, Mom and I helped him do it. Now, in our house, if you were going to pay for it, that meant overtime. That's how you got money. So that meant that my dad would have had to work longer at the factory to get the money to care for his mom and dad. And I remember visiting them. And I remember him paying their bills and see. My dad and my mom, but my dad makes Christmas make sense to me. Because he loved and gave and raised us from his points of poverty and pain. He, he, from his poverty, he extended the invitation to the man who abandoned him and cared for him until his death. 
reminded me every single night to pray for grandpa. Dad would come and pray with us every single night. Pray for grandpa. From his poverty, generosity welled up. From, from his pain, if, there, if anybody lost a kid, they were the first phone call. We understand. You come, draw in close. Because the, the people who knew about loss became the most sympathetic to those who had lost. From their point of trial and poverty, see, they had a poverty of disappointment. When you're 46, 47 years old, at the prime of your career and life, and you get wiped out. But you know what they would do? If you were 46, 47 years old and you got wiped out, guess who you came and lived with until you got back on your feet? I never knew who was living at my parents' home. Because from their trial and their poverty, they could see that differently. It welled up in them in a generosity. And, and they entirely on their own would do this. They would bring people in. They would love people. They didn't call us kids for money. They, they, they would entirely on their own, they would make a way to do that. And if you looked at them and said, Mom, Dad, I think that's irresponsible. Oh, you better, you better duck. God has been good to us. They'd argue with you. God has been good to us. He, you, didn't, you didn't dare look at them and say, you got ripped off in life. And as dad and mom poured out the richness that Christ poured in, all of their kids, all their grandkids, understand Christmas. We, we, we get it because we, would, we looked at our version of the Macedonians. And you would look and say, oh, that, there it is. There it is. Like all, all this theology and this all-knowing God and this eternal plan. And oh, you're talking about that. See? It was life-changing. And it illustrates the heart and the mind of Jesus who was rich, but for our sake, became poor. So through his poverty, we could become rich. And as Christ changes our mind, it's called renewing the mind, and our hearts, transforming the heart, he alters what we love. We, we get the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the people around us. Now, humility works two ways. For me to have humility in my life, there, there is the humility that's expressed through generosity. So it is me looking and saying, what I have isn't mine. What I have isn't mine. My, my pain isn't mine. My, my relationships aren't mine. My money isn't mine. Just fill it in. What I have isn't mine. And, and I want to share that the way that Christ has shared that. 
That's one way that we express humility. Here's the other way. When you flip that coin over, humility works like this. I also need humility in order to receive riches. So I don't know how you think. I think of myself as kind of a self-made guy, right? Because I've overcome my own insecurities in life, right? So when, when people are like, Jeff's a little bit cocky, that is so true, it's not even funny. Don't judge me, right? It's just the way it is, right? So when I look at my insecurities, I, I had people when I was little tell me I was dumb. So I grew up my whole life thinking I was dumb. So in order to overcome feeling dumb, I got a doctorate. See, I proved it to you. I'm not dumb. I had people in my life tell me, I literally had a, a, people tell me I would never amount to anything because I was a hurting seventh grader that people wanted me to behave instead of caring about my needs. And so they looked at me and said, you're not gonna amount to anything. So to overcome that insecurity, I overachieve. Whatever I do, I win, right? I had people in my life tell me I was fat and ugly. So to overcome that, I became a sex symbol. See how it works? <laughs> You're welcome, right? See how that works? So if I'm not careful, this is what it is. I don't know how you think, this is how I think. I, I, I have to be careful because I am very, very tempted to take credit for myself. I'm a self-made man. My father, look at what he overcame. See, he, he was a self-made man. Father abandoned him, self-made man. I created this family clan. I, I gave pride to the Bogue name instead of shame. I'm a self-made man. I educated myself. I supported my family. I'm self, look at my kids. They perform well. I'm a self-made man, right? Another aspect of pride is this. It's looking and saying, I'm actually not a self-made man. I'm a God-made man. Because that mindset will also lead to a spiritual poverty. I don't need a savior. I'm the savior. I'm not a, I'm not a sinner. I'm not wicked and deceitful. They're the sinner. That good news of great joy is okay news of a little bit of happiness because a role model was born for me, not a savior. So there's a side of humility, a side of humility that is me exporting the riches of Christ. And then there's a side of humility that is me importing the riches of Christ. I also have to be humble enough to receive. I need a savior. I need encouragement. I need healing. I need loyal friends. I need emotional support. I need comfort. Some of us, I need money. See? So part of humility is my willingness to give, and then part of my humility is my willingness to receive. And, and Christ illustrates this. We, we, we only pour out what we have allowed to be poured in. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. These tr people under severe trial in extreme poverty received from God. And out of their spiritual abundance, because they didn't have money or stuff, 
out of their spiritual abundance, they looked and said, no, 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 we want to express Christ to these people. We want to give in those ways. That make sense? It's the two sides of the same coin. Humility is by giving. Humility is expressed by generosity. And humility is expressed by receiving, by allowing Christ and people to be generous to me. And when we live that way, we make Jesus make sense. When we love that way and we give our lives that way, Jesus suddenly gets skin on as if Christ himself were making his appeal through us, right? As if we were the presence in the room of the heart and the mind of God. All right. Band's gonna come out. They're gonna give us a little space. And guys, I so encourage you to take advantage of this. You got plenty of time to rush off to chaos, right? So chill for a minute and take a little space and, and maybe ask these questions. Is there, is there a person that I need to express humility and generosity to? Maybe it's a financial need. Most needs are not financial. Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe it's an invitation. Maybe it's an openness. Ask God to show you that. And then, is there a place in my life that I need to receive? Right? Do I need to drop my pride and let somebody help me with my finances or let myself be forgiven, let myself receive encouragement, accept the invitation of friendship, see? So I don't know what your gig is, but God does. And so spend a little time with him. Give him some freedom to bang around in your heart a little bit and, and find those nuances and then surrender them. Give them over to him. And you might be surprised how, how uh, that changes and affects the way that you, you move forward, okay? All right, Jesus, we love you. Help us with this, Christ. Thank you for your illustration of humility. Lord, you are the example in all things, and so we look to you. And, and thank you, Lord, for the additional example of the Macedonians. Thank you for these, this godly church that can teach us today and because uh, we want to be that godly church too. Individually, God, press into our hearts. Show us the places and the people that we pour out to and show us the places and the people that we need to allow to pour into us. And God, change us. We, we want to illustrate, emulate your heart and your mind to those around us. So help us to that end. Press into us even now, Jesus, in your name.